This podcast is brought to you by the Wharton School at the University of Pennsylvania. As we mentioned earlier, the first people have received the Pfizer vaccine in the United Kingdom, but the scale-up of delivery for the vaccines is certainly going to be a big challenge, especially when you have some of them that must be kept at negative 70 degrees. Gad Alon is a professor of operations, information, and decisions at the Wharton School, and he's also director of the Jerome Fisher Program in Management and Technology. Gad, great to talk to you again. Hope you're doing well. Yes, hi, Dan. Great to be here. Uh is it is it an understatement to say that this is going to be quite an undertaking in making sure that that vaccines are are able to be moved around and in the right locations around not only the United States but are around the different countries impacted by this? Absolutely, that's probably the biggest vaccination uh, initiative we've ever seen in, in in humanity. I would like to say, uh, and so definitely a major undertaking at, at the scale uh, and at the level of specificity needed to maintain that absolutely so from an operational standpoint what do you see as as the largest challenges out there well i think there are four main challenges uh, that i see uh, and and all of them are exacerbated by the fact that it takes a while more than we we tend to think it should to approve these Uh, so first of all it's definitely the fastest ever to to actually get that vaccine to to actually work or to think it works but there are, in my opinion, four issues. One is limited manufacturing capacity. These, these firms don't have enough capacity to manufacture them. Uh, Moderna can manufacture a billion a year. Uh, Pfizer can do maybe 1.3 a year, and they're already reporting that they have issues even with these. So limited manufacturing capacity, and you need two from each, uh, two dosages from each one. You have disruption to manufacturing of the supply chain of the other components, right? You need syringes. You need packaging. And what many countries are under lockdown. And so even to manufacture that, we don't have enough capacity. On top of that, right, of course, you want to manufacture things in different places around the world. How do you make sure that people have the right knowledge? And then you need also people, available workforce. Who wants to work on a project that you know that is going to be very relevant now but might not be relevant a year from now? So actually getting people with the right skills is hard to get people with the right skills to work on that if they are not part of already – Pfizer, Moderna, and, and the like, I think it might not be all that fast to get them. But more than anything else, it's really manufacturing capacity. I would imagine that maybe one benefit that, that a lot of these companies are, are having, at least right now, is that we've known this is going to be occurring for several months at this point. And so there's been a, a, a longer time to ramp things up. Is that fair to say? Yes and no. So yes, in a sense that they've been already starting to secure and work with their supply chain to make it work, right? And like syringes should not be the, the limiting capacity. So they have been working securing capacity for that. They've been working with airlines to make sure that they are ready. So the moment that the Pfizer one was at least on the way to be approved, it was already the first flight taking that from Belgium to the U.S., right? So they've been working. But at the same time, they didn't have a long runway also to deal with that. Right? I mean, I think they started working on that. I mean, a year ago in March, not a year, yeah. this year in March, we've not we just started thinking about it. I know some places started working on that even earlier. And they got, in fact, loans from the government and grants from the government to work on that. But they didn't know what supply chain they need. And they didn't really. And, and if you're a small supplier, your willingness to join that supply chain and place a bet on that and leave other drugs that might be more certain and profitable 
for the sake of something like that. That's not all that easy. You know, it's interesting as the as the summer went along and there was more and more conversation about when we were going to see vaccines. We obviously heard uh, from the administration about kind of the military component that was going to be used to try and uh, try and help this process along. And, and there is something to be said about having the military involved in a large scale process when you think about how the military historically has a has a history in doing this. Right. So, so that's actually really one one type of supply chain that is built around emergency usage, about mobilizing a significant number of people within a short amount of time and building and ramping up a capacity only to eliminate that very quickly. So I would say this is if you think about like what's the supply chain capability that the military has, it's exactly for that. It doesn't have the scale for that. Um, I don't think it knows how to deal with scale and persistence. Something like that. I think that's going to be one of the main issues here is, for example, you need two dosages for every person with a month in a, between them. How do you yeah. manage that? How do you manage that the first person that got it can come back? And how do you know they come back? They come back. I mean, there are many complications that much more for civilian stuff like supply chain is much more structured than a military one. But I would say, first of all, to have it work to the people that are on the front line, people that are essential workers, so they can have it. I think that's exactly where the military can excel. We're talking with Gad Alon uh, of the Wharton School uh, about the delivery of vaccines. And, and, you know, it's amazing when we're thinking about how much is going to be delivered uh, over the course of of the next several months. And and I I wonder, Gad, because of the fact that you're you're setting a process in place and you're starting to deliver, but I I think also there has to be a concern uh, of having that, that process have some level of a falter at some point you, you you expect things to go once you get them in 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 operation you expect them to go well but there's no guarantee that something isn't going to come up along the line that that's going to cause uh cause an issue yes that's a great question i i would say it's, it's probably one of the main uh, things here and main issue is going to be how do you set up two processes to some extent the process of delivery but the meta process to see whether we realize any issues. So, for example, you spoke early about the need to, to have a very cold supply chain. One of the main reasons we, we think that the entire capacity of, of a Pfizer is not, not entirely going to be utilized, that we're going to have quality issues. Now, quality issues can be detected early if you realize that there maybe the temperature was above what you thought. But what if you realize it's only later? How do you detect and go back to the people that actually got that vaccine and, and, and make sure that what they got was really maybe less effective but not harmful? So I, I would expect the organization to build here a, a meta process on top of that. At the same time, I see also the need to continue to push new drugs into this process because we might realize that there might be better drugs later on. I mean, the AstraZeneca one, for example, currently is not in line to be approved as fast as Moderna and Pfizer because it has some issues in its testing, but it's actually much cheaper and actually doesn't really need, because it's a different method, doesn't really need the same stringent supply chain. Maybe over during the line, it can get better over time in in really much more for dispersion in places that other two cannot get. So I would expect to see people view it as we finish with the research part. We can start now with the operational side. Both are very much tied to each other until we are really done with that, probably two years from now. 
Well, that that was something I wanted to ask you about anyway, is the fact that the Pfizer drug, you know, you have to keep it in very, very cold conditions. With some of these other ones, you don't necessarily have to keep it. So you can have one process set up, but you have to be able to adapt off of that process as well. Exactly. And, and I think that over the night, first of all, it's very clear that even with these two drugs, we don't have enough capacity. I mean, it's, a, it's, 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 it's probably around 700 million, million people together. Now, if you're now selling any other type of product, there are products that are in testing in different stages. Some of them are treatments. Some of them are about vaccination. We probably need to continue with all of these, A, because we need the capacity, B, because we don't really currently support all different age groups. None of these being tested on kids, for example, and we want to bring people to school. And also we might realize that different places around the world are better served by different variations. It might be that a, few years, a year from now, when you are among the last few to be vaccinated, you can actually choose which option you want and they might actually offer a different longevity level. Because one thing we don't know, for example, is the longevity of the vaccination. It might be that some of the ones that are going to come later on are going to be longer, cheaper, faster to deliver. And so I, I go back to the point that it's not a scientific question. It's not just an operational question or supply chain yeah. question. It's really yeah. a combination of all of these together. Gad, thanks very much for your time. All the best. Stay safe. Stay safe, man. Gadalon, Professor of Operations, Information, and Decisions here at the Wharton School. To keep engaged with Wharton Business Daily and other Wharton School shows, visit businessradio.wharton.upenn.edu.